gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Is that your prayer? With this eighth sermon, we've come to the end of Psalm 119 as we've made our way through this long chapter, 24 verses at a time. Today we have the final eight verses of the chapter. Along the way, we've discussed the necessity of our seeking God and how we can seek him in the first sermon. And then our need for active dependence on him in the second. Our need to think. And as a result of thinking, follow him in the third sermon. And then our deep cries to him, even as we maintain a solid hope in him in the next sermon. And then our love for God, the consequent love for his law in the next sermon, the instruction that shows us what he is like, that's what the law is. And the law shows us how we can live to his glory as rebellious people in a fallen world. And then the next sermon, we've seen how we are unworthy servants, but servants nonetheless by his grace. And then last week, how God is the only source of true life. Remember that image I gave you in one of those initial sermons of a beautiful valley. And you can stand back and take a picture of the entire valley and get some sense of what it is like. But you can also get up close and see the gurgling brook you can see the majestic old tree. You can climb to a different perspective and look from one ridge to the other across the valley. Everyone gives you a different perspective of the same valley. And so each of these sermons has given us a different perspective on the same truth of Psalm 119. And all of these lessons, all of these perspectives, all of this wisdom, all of this leaning on God and commitment to his word is aimed to cause us to say, this is true life. This is genuine joy. This is where hope is found. And then the psalmist closes these 176 verses by saying, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Again and again and again, he said, I love your law, I love your commandments, I do not forget them. Life is found in your word. And then he says, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Does that seem strange to you? It does to some commentators who suggest that the psalmist can't possibly be talking about himself because he's said again and again that he follows God, he delights in him. But as we read from Isaiah, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And that's true not only historically, but 
before we come to Christ, we have gone astray. Isn't it true in your life? It's true in mine. That that statement holds every day. I go astray like a lost sheep. So here at the close of this great psalm, the author shows us that as much as the psalmist pictures Jesus in his love for God's law, his following him, his proclamation of that truth to others, he is not the Christ. The psalmist is not the Christ, and nor am I, nor are you. The author shows us how he himself, a strange sheep, must be sought again and again and again by the great shepherd. And how precious is that truth. Not that we need that seeking, but that he will seek us. That's the preciousness. For we stray, we lose our way, and we too must cry out, Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Well, we'll look at how this final stanza of Psalm 119, we'll look at it via the lens of Luke chapter 15 that Jacob read for us. In that story, Jesus' story about the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost sons, he gives us a picture of the seeking shepherd, the seeking shepherd that goes after straying sheep. Recall that when the sheep goes astray, the shepherd seeks him, finds him, and rejoices over him. Similarly, when the coin is lost, the woman sweeps the house diligently, searches, 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 finds it. And both the shepherd and the woman then throw a great party because they found what was lost. Well, the younger son's story is more complicated than the coin and the sheep, but nevertheless parallel. That son effectively tells his father, I wish you were dead, right? Because when the father's dead, that's when he should get the inheritance. But by saying, give me my share of the inheritance today, the son is saying, just die, father. I don't care about a relationship with you. I don't care about you. I just want your money. And so the father does it, amazingly. He gives him his share of the inheritance. He goes to the far country. He wastes it all. And then he ends up with this terrible job feeding pigs. And at this low point, Luke tells us, Jesus tells us, he comes to his senses. He recognizes that he has sinned against his father. He has sinned against God. And that he is not worthy to be called a son of his father. All that is true, it's important, it's an important step. But he thinks, I nevertheless can be a good worker for my father. 
My father's a better employer than my present employer. I can be worth my wages. I can prove myself to be a good hired servant. That's his plan. I'm going to go back to my father and be a good hired servant. But note that like the lost sheep, like the lost coin, that younger son, when he goes back to his father, he's not seeking his father. He's seeking a good employer. He still doesn't recognize who his father is. He doesn't recognize his father's love. He doesn't recognize his father's grace. He is not yet repented. He's seen the dead end of his sin, and he doesn't like the consequences. He's not yet repenting. But the father seeks the son as the woman seeks the coin and the shepherd seeks the sheep. While the son is still a long way off, the father sees him. So he's going to be looking for him, right? He sees him while he's still a long way off. And the son then begins to go through this line that he's practiced. Father, I've sinned against God and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't even get a chance to say the rest. Because the father showers him with grace. He looks like a poor beggar. He's got rags. He doesn't have any sandals on his feet. And the father says, put a ring on his finger wrap him in a robe, put sandals on his feet. This is my son. As he enters the village, he's letting everyone know, this is my son. He was right to say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then the father showers him with grace. And only then, only then, is the son found. Father says, he was lost and passive voice is found. Who found him? The father found him. Just like the woman found the coin and the shepherd found the sheep. The son didn't find the father. The son didn't seek the father. The father sought the strange son and found him. All grace. What about the older son? The older son, too, must be sought. Like the brother, like his younger brother, he fails to recognize his father's grace and love. Instead, he sees his father as a hard employer who doesn't give him what he deserves. But unlike his younger brother, the older son doesn't see his own sin. He doesn't see that he too has sinned against God and against his father by thinking of this loving, gracious father as a hard employer who's not paying him appropriate wages. He too is not worthy to be called a son. And yet, the father seeks him 
he leaves the party, he leaves the celebration to go out to the older son and to explain to him, to try to give him understanding about what has happened with his younger brother. Indeed, how that younger brother can be an example to him of how to repent in turn. And the story concludes without resolution. Remember, Jesus begins this story speaking especially to the religious leaders who are like that older son. And the story is left up in the air. Will the older son repent? Well, that's that story. Now, let's go to Psalm 119, 169 to 176. And we'll make use of Luke 15 in our understanding of these verses. And that'll lead us into the Lord's Supper. So five headings this morning. I've gone astray. I am your servant. Hear me. Seek your servant. And the resulting life of joyful praise. So I've gone astray. I am your servant. Hear me. Seek your servant. The resulting life of joyful praise. So first of all, I have gone astray. Almost 500 years ago, Thomas Cranmer, composing the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, wrote this prayer of confession, intending it for regular use by Christians. Almighty and merciful God, we have erred and strayed from your ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against your holy laws. We have left undone those things that we ought to have done. And we have done those things which we ought not to have done. Thus, Thomas Cranmer. Thomas Cranmer. This prayer rightly sees our straying like sheep, not only as a wandering before we become believers, but as a present straying that all believers engage in. So my friends, I go astray, you go astray, I wander, you wander. We wander, as Cranmer says, in what we do, which is wrong, in what we think, which is wrong, and in what we fail to do. On thinking, consider that older son, right? He didn't disobey an explicit command of his father. In his actions, what he did was right. How was the older son sinning against the father? It was in his thoughts. In thinking of the father as a hard taskmaster. 
in thinking that he deserved more from his father than he was receiving. That's how he was sinning against him. And in what he had left undone. He had not thanked his father. He was not showing love to his father. Those were sins also. So his sin was not in what he did. The younger son sinned in what he did. The older son sinned in what he left undone and in what he thought, in the devices and desires of his heart, as Cranmer puts it. So, we may be guilty of gross sins that almost all Christians everywhere would agree are sins. We may be guilty of respectable sins that most Christians let slide. We may be guilty of thoughts and attitudes and desires that others are unaware of. But before God and by the standards of this psalm, we all, all sin. So the question is, what do we do with that sin? Well, one option is to pretend that it doesn't exist, right? To pretend that I'm okay. Another option is to compare ourselves to others and say, well, sure, 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 I sin, but, but look, you know, I mean, Daniel's so much worse than me, so right? it, it's okay. Because maybe God will grade on a curve or something. So we can pretend it doesn't exist. We can downplay its importance. But that's not the biblical way to deal with it, is it? We must be like the psalmist and say, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. There is no excuse, Father God. There are no ameliorating circumstances before you. I do not deserve to be your child. I am not worthy to be part of the bride of Christ. Every one of us can say that every day. I have wandered off your paths like a lost sheep. I have gone astray. That's the first heading. Second heading, I am your servant. The psalmist says, seek your servants. And we're going to consider that in the fourth heading. But I can't say, seek your servant unless I am his servant. To call myself your servant is to say, I am in relationship with you. I belong to you. You have brought me to yourself. Indeed, you have bought me at a price, a high price. You have begun a good work in me. I didn't earn my relationship with you, and I do not stay in that relationship with you by my own efforts. I am your servant. Just so with the younger son in the story. 
The prodigal was his father's son, despite what he had done. He strayed, he was lost, he was not worthy to be called his son, but the father sought him and found him, put his arm around him, kissed him on the neck, and said, this is my son. If we are in Jesus, we are God's people, despite what we have done, despite what we continue to do. We are in relationship with him. Well, in our text, the psalmist speaks as God's servant again and again, even in these brief eight verses. God teaches him as his servant, second half of 171, you teach me your statutes. And he acknowledges that God's teaching is right, second half of 172, all your commandments are right. As a good servant, he commits himself to God and to his word, second half of 173, I have chosen your precepts. Last part of 176, I do not forget your commandments. Furthermore, as God's servant, he does this not only out of duty, but also out of delight. He knows this is where joy is found, 174. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. I am your servant. Therefore, I long for a close relationship with you. And I acknowledge that joy is found in following you according to your instruction. Now remember, Jesus himself says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, like a servant. And Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And furthermore, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, endured God's plan that included his crucifixion, and death. And so God's servants speak as he teaches us, fulfill his word, his plan, and are confident that the joy that we have in him far surpasses far, far surpasses anything that we give up to follow from. So we are his servants. We're following in the steps of our Lord and Savior. The gate through which he leads his servants is narrow. The road he guides us on is hard. Jesus tells us that. But that road leads to life, to fulfillment, to joy. And Jesus himself is 
the road, the way, as well as the example of what it means to walk on that road. So we delight to be his servants, taught by him, meditating on his teaching, holding on to it along the challenging road. So I have gone astray. I am your servant. Since we are in relationship with him, we can cry out to him during those difficult times, hear me. That's our third heading, hear me. So that's how the, the psalmist opens this stanza. Knowing he is in this relationship, he is God's servant, he says, 169, let my cry come before you. 170, let my plea come before you. Hear me, oh God, listen to me. I'm in pain, I'm suffering. Hear my cry. And God always answers, I hear you. I love you. You are mine. When we sin, Satan whispers to us, God's not going to listen to you anymore. You've taken yourself out of that relationship. He's so disappointed in you. He's so angry at you. There's no reason to pray. Have you heard that voice? Our consciences, too, can condemn us. Other people can condemn us. But God hears the cries of his servants. Remember what, what Jesus said at, at Lazarus's tomb? He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I thank you, Father, that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me, and I think implied by that, is that we may believe that he always hears us. If we are in Christ, he always hears us. So don't fall for Satan's ploy. Don't be reluctant to say, Father, I'm in pain. I'm struggling. Hear me. I'm yours. I'm bought with Jesus' precious blood. I'm a straying sheep. But you tell us you will not stop listening to us. You will always hear us. So hear, oh God, hear, oh Father, hear, oh shepherd. So I've gone astray, I am your servant, hear me forth, seek your servant. In Luke 15, the shepherd seeks the sheep by searching for it. The father seeks the younger son by looking out for him, seeing when, when he's still far off, running to him, immediately telling him and informing others that he is indeed still his son, and then throwing that big party. The father seeks the older son by leaving the celebration, going out to him, teaching him about grace, and showing grace to him. 
How does God seek the psalmist? Well, the author calls upon God to seek him in verse 176, seek your servant. He's been speaking of ways that God seeks him throughout this stanza. Note three ways that God seeks the psalmist in these verses. God seeks him by giving him understanding. Second half of 169, give me understanding according to your word. So we can pray, seek me, O Father, through your word. Open it up to me as I read, as I listen to it exposited, as I discuss it with others, as I meditate on it. Give me understanding, and via that understanding of your revelation, deepen my relationship with you. Seek me through it. Second, God seeks the psalmist by delivering him. Second half of 170. Deliver me according to your word. This deliverance could be a deliverance from people who are attacking him, and he's spoken of such people earlier in the psalm. But the near context is not about threats from people against his person. The near context is his confession that he has gone astray like a lost sheep. So I think this deliverance is talking about salvation from sin, salvation from his own wandering. God has promised, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And John goes on to say in that first epistle, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He is the one who by that sacrifice takes God's wrath and suffers it on our behalf. So that that wrath is not exercised on us. We have instead only God's discipline, God's correction to straightening us out so that we walk on his paths. So we, like the psalmist, can say, seek your servant, deliver me according to your word. Yes, save me. And that initial cry of faith in Jesus, but also deliver me this day from evil. Deliver me this day from the temptation that I face. Deliver me today from the ways that I have gone astray. Seek your servant. So, God seeks him by giving him understanding. God seeks him by delivering him. Third way that God seeks him in this passage, God seeks him by helping him. 173. Let your hand be ready to help me. 
or I like the way New Living Translation puts it, give me a helping hand. 175, let your rules help me. As Charles Spurgeon elaborates on that, let your rules preserve my soul from wandering into the ways of death. Let your rules preserve me from wandering into the ways of death. Keep me from leaving that path of life and go astray on those paths that lead to destruction. God does not leave us on our own. He is our helper, our ally. And he gives us the helper, the Holy Spirit, to open up all truth to us, to help us in our prayers, to convict us of our sin, to aid us as we walk on his paths. God's hand is always, always, always ready to help us. And his word is that lamp to our feet and light to our path. Ask him to help. He delights to do so. So just as the shepherd sought the straying sheep, so Jesus seeks you. He will not leave you alone, isolated, in danger, up on the mountain ridge. He will find you. He will carry you back. And he will rejoice over you. So cry out. Seek your servant. Fifth, finally, the resulting life of joyful praise. Luke 15 speaks of one party after another, right? The, the party when the shepherd finds the sheep, the party when the woman finds the coin, and the party when the father finds the son. The Father says, we had to celebrate and rejoice. It is fitting, it is right to celebrate, to rejoice. Because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, the psalmist says the same. Beginning at 175, may my soul live and praise you. The party. 171, may my lips pour forth praise. 172, may my tongue sing. So the psalmist, like the Father, is saying, it is right, it is proper, it is fitting, it is necessary to rejoice like that. It's the logical, appropriate response to such grace and mercy of a seeking shepherd. And affectionately, it is the appropriate response. When someone gives you the perfect birthday gift, it's exactly what you want. And you didn't even tell anyone, right? But they just knew you. And so they give you the perfect gift. Is it the right response 
to open the gift and say, oh, this is so wonderful. Oh, this is fun. Let me deal with it. Let me play with it. Blah, blah, blah. And ignore the one who gave you the gift. The right, appropriate, good response, both logically and relationally, is to thank that person, to praise that person. How did you know that this is what I really wanted? Thank you for being so attentive to who I am and what I want that you knew without my even asking. Just so with God. The appropriate response to such mercy and grace is to praise Him, to delight in Him, to love Him. Now, while we are straying, while we are such sheep, we don't feel like praising Him, right? When we feel that condemnation, we know we're on the wrong path. We know we've done wrong. We know we've thought wrong. We know we've left undone things that should have been done. We feel condemned. We feel like God doesn't love us. And Satan underlines that. We had a wonderful discussion of that in our course seminar. I encourage you all to join us in course seminar next week as we continue to talk about that. But when that happens, we are not seeing reality according to God's word. We are in a fog of unbelief. Seeing God the way the older son sees him as a harsh taskmaster and not seeing him as he really is full of grace and mercy shown to us through Jesus. And thus that earlier sermon in the series, think and so follow him. Take to heart the truths of his word. That's what reveals to us God's character. Not our own thoughts and impressions, and certainly not Satan's whispering in our ears. God is who he says he is, and that is that merciful, loving Father who leads us in his paths to find, yes, true life as we saw last week, true joy as we praise him for the character that forgives us even as we stray. And so this is the fight of faith, the fight to remember who God is, to remember who we are, to remember where joy is found. And so this is our response when we can think soberly about who God is. Some of you have heard me tell the story of when I was wrestling with whether or not I should leave my career as an economist and go into full-time ministry. And I made the decision before God in prayer, consulting with Beth and others, 
But there were moments when I would almost panic. I have six children. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what I'm doing. And there was one day in particular where I was cleaning out my office, this office that I'd had for 12 years, and, and partly thinking, you mean I got to work from home with six children in the house? And, and, and emptying my office, and I just felt, what am I doing? This is absolutely crazy. And so I went off to a brook. It was a lovely place where I spent a lot of time in prayer and prayed. And, you know, 30 minutes of prayer, I'm no longer thinking that way. No longer thinking that way. And the way I explained it to people is, when I was drunk with these falsehoods that the world was telling me, then I was worried and concerned. But when I was sober, I knew it was the right decision. I didn't have any doubts it was the right decision. And so stay sober. Recognize when you're becoming drunk and sober up by the coffee of the word and prayer. Well, in conclusion, the two sons did not value their father. They did not understand their father. They did not see their relationship with their father as the life-giving relationship that it was. Do you value the father and his love? See, this, this entire stanza, last stanza of Psalm 119, is about that relationship. Indeed, the entire psalm is about our relationship with God. A cursory reading can say it's about obedience. But obedience is secondary. Obedience comes after the relationship. This psalm is not about obedience apart from a relationship. It's not about knowledge, understanding, apart from a relationship. It's about a relationship between God's people and God himself. It's about a relationship that God has made possible through Jesus Christ. In that relationship, we stray and we are still in that relationship after we stray. So we cry out to God on the basis of that relationship. Listen to me. Hear me. Seek your servant. I am your sheep, your child, though I have strayed. Enable me to live the life of joyful praise in relationship to you, before you. And enable me to turn to you again and again and again when I stray. Well, the Lord's Supper pictures that. Just as we need to eat and drink day by day, we need to confess. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel. We need to feed on his love and grace and mercy day by day. So the Father is seeking you now. Don't forget his commandments. 
Don't forget his grace. This table is for straying sheep. It is for sinners. Paul tells us we can't approach it lightly. We have to examine ourselves. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that now. But don't stay away from the table because you're a sinner. It's for straying sheep. Confess what you know. Confess the ways that you realize you have strayed. Ask God, see if there be any grievous way in me. But this is the way everlasting. By his grace, by his mercy, the body and blood of our Lord Jesus, sacrificed on the cross, so that you might be his child, you might be his servant, so that he would never let you go. So we pray together, Lord, seek your servant even through this ordinance. Let's pray together.